Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Okay, so before I introduce the guest, I want to ask you guys a quick favor. I promise it will only take a minute. If you can please go to iTunes, give me a five-star rating, a short, short review, glowing, of course, would be preferable. I would really appreciate it. Today on the podcast, Mark Herzog. Mark is a longtime producer who got his start in feature films. Then he went on to produce behind the scenes of feature films. Then he actually went on to producing documentaries and documentary series. Those series and docs have garnered him Emmys and a great reputation in our industry. If you've seen any of the decade series on CNN, the 60s, 70s, 80s, that whole thing, the history of comedy, that's all Mark. He's now in production on a really exciting 12-part series about movies. That's in partnership with Tom Hanks Company. He's got a lot of very cool partnerships that you'll hear about. And for all you fans of the true crime podcast, Dirty John, like me, Mark is an executive producer of that the two-hour documentary that's going to be airing on Oxygen this January, and the scripted Bravo series, which premieres Sunday night, November 25th. I just saw the first episode. It's amazing. You do not want to miss it. Okay, Mark, we're here. Hi. We're here at Herzog and Co. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do we call this room? This is very cool. This is our uh, stage, our insert stage. We do uh, all of our interviews for... Uh, almost all of our series here. Uh, it's a good black limbo stage, but it we all can also use it for uh, regular interviews. We have windows attached to it. Um, we probably shoot two or three days a week here. It's great. I love it. It's very, it's very official. <laughs> I feel like I'm in, I'm in Hollywood. Yeah. So, um, okay. So I always start by saying how I know my guests. So mm-hmm. you and I have only met once before yep. about, I think it was in June. Uh, right. Like beginning of the summer, we were, uh, with the Newells, Newells, right. So you are executive producer of Dirty John, both scripted and unscripted, which I'm so excited to talk to you about. Um, uh, Laura, my partner in crime and I were brought in by the Newells to kind of help navigate the whole TV landscape of which they were, and probably still are pretty clueless about. Uh, Uh, I think they're getting better. A little more savvy now. Um, and so you and I met at the filming in Newport beach, Laguna beach. I don't even know. See, I don't know where I am. Laguna beach. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous house and um and so yeah and so and so i really want to talk to you because um dirty john is huge i mean it's just like caught lightning and uh we were at the premiere the other night Mm -hmm. in the first episode they they screened the bravo series i think it's fantastic right i think connie nailed deborah to a degree that now that you and i both know deborah it's a little creepy for me it was creepy uh well uh how about juno temple and oh uh, my god and uh julia garner it, it yeah. was crazy. I mean, they really, obviously we don't know John because we didn't have him on the, so we don't, but I mean, Eric Banish is so gorgeous. I don't really care. <laughs> it's a little hard to think of him as a psychopath. I got to be honest, because he's just blindingly gorgeous and charming. Right. Did you ever see yeah. his first film, the Australian film? Uh, I just lost the name of it, but um, he played a psychopath. Did he? Oh, I yeah. think the first time I saw him was in Munich. He's he's great. Mm-hmm. He's so good. The whole thing, it's very kind of big little lies ish if yeah. I had to compare it to something else. Sure. Well, the it, setting, you know, the setting, it's seaport town. Yeah. It's a gorgeous setting and it's very um it's almost like very rom commy with doom and gloom and lurking in the background. I mean, that would be the best way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, we're talking about the Bravo scripted. Right. So we have also... to talk about, right, the oxygen unscripted. So yes. there's a lot to get into. So I want to start from the beginning with you with Dirty John. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved? Did you first hear the podcast? Did you know Chris Gothard, the, the L.A. Times guy? No, I have a um, uh, a partnership with the L.A. Times. That preceded uh, this. We formed L.A. Times Studios, uh, the paper and myself. And what I mean by that, there's a, a, a man who's the CEO of the uh, L.A. Times name, Chris Argentari. And was one of the uh, previous uh, editors of the paper. Um, they were looking to expand what the LA Times did by uh, looking at their the IP that they had. I mean, they've been around for 140 years or something. And um, exploit that into TV. And they wanted to have a television partner that could uh, create something journalistically from uh, some of their great stories. And... Uh, uh, they found me, and we uh, formed a partnership. And um, in the two and a half years, I think, since we've done that, we've done uh, a couple web series uh, that played on latimes.com. Um, uh, we've done um, a thing called The Envelope, which is uh, we um, basically award season. 
uh, for movies. Uh, we made a, a show about that. And then Chris Gofford's series uh, we were talking about, and uh, that was coming up. And um, they made a podcast. I was not part of the podcast. Wondry. Right. So how did right? So Wondry and I and I know Hernan. It's all sort of interrelated. Yeah. Um, and Hernan, who's the CEO of Wondry. So how did so the podcast happened first, and then like how did it all? Happen? No, Chris. Chris was writing the series. Okay. Um, I think he took about a year to write that series. He had heard of this story. I think the DA in Laguna said, you know, there's more to this murder um, than, or I should say. Um, <laughs> A killing. Right. Then you think. And so he started uh, doing a deep dive on it and it turned into Dirty John. So it was a series of articles at the same time. I think uh, the paper, the publisher at the time said, let's turn this to a, into a podcast. And of course, Chris Gofford uh, is the host of the podcast. He wrote the podcast. Um, it was, I think it goes against the conventional norms of most podcasts. In what way? Um, it, it, it was told very cinematically, I think. And... Um, uh, with a mystery at the beginning of it. You don't know who gets killed. Right. And um, I, I've i talked to several podcast uh, producers who were like, well, that, we wouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> well, okay. Well, it worked. How, $30 million. How, diff- how would they have done it differently? No, no, I mean, it was their opinion. But yeah. I think it worked perfectly. I agree. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think how I would have done it differently. It was right. perfect. I right. had no idea really what was going to happen until the very end. Yeah. So... So that podcast, um, you knew about the podcast mm-hmm. from the start and said, okay, I'm going to just sort of reverse engineer the IP and, or, or you had already been in bed with the LA Times. Well, because I was, I had a partnership with LA Times. Right. From there, the, the inquiries into, um, uh, turning it into some sort of television phenomenon. Um, I was one of them. <laughs> yeah. Started, started happening. Yeah. And, um, uh, the, the inquiries were coming fast and furious. So I... Uh, brought in my team from WME, a uh, great team, um, and said, let's uh, help out the LA Times. And they stepped in. Chris Gofford, I think, was also re- reffed by somebody from ICM. Um, but for the most part, uh, WME came in and uh, put the whole thing together. And UCP, Universal Cable Productions, stepped up to uh, take something and uh, make something really great for Bravo and also for Oxygen. When you were thinking about it, did you always think this is going to be a scripted series too? This is so ripe for, you know, for scripted? I, well, one of the most interesting things about this story is not only for unscripted for Oxygen, but for scripted as well, is it is so intriguing. People would think it's it's made up. Yeah. It's salacious. It, it, it's just, it, you don't have to make anything up. I mean, John's deceit was so um, perfect is not the right word, but he was so good at it. Yeah. Um, if you've ever met Tanya Bales, Tanya Bales was his first wife. I did meet her the other night. Yeah. She's lovely. I, and I, I seems like I, a completely normal person. I told her that when people uh, see her in the unscripted uh, for oxygen, they're going to go, well, if she can get deceived by John, anybody can get deceived. She's very smart. She's very pragmatic. Um, uh, I don't think she suffer fools. And so for her to have gone through that, um, anybody could. That's how good he was. Right. So you brought up sort of like the seminal thing, which is that, and, and especially now that all of the prom, you know promotions coming out for the series and people are sort of on message boards or whatever, is that people get annoyed mm-hmm. at Deborah, right? Like, how could she have been so stupid? How could she have fallen for, oh, she's driving me crazy. What an idiot. And... You know, what was what was your impression when you first heard the podcast and read the stories and then meeting her and hearing her firsthand? Um, I for I think I, I was like a lot of um, people heard the podcast and said, I can't believe she's making the decisions she's making. Um, but once you meet her and once you understand her situation, look, everybody's looking for love. And once you realize how good John was, I think. Um, the the behavior he had, uh, the texts he had, the uh, the dialogue he had with her children. Um, in hindsight, you can go, well, of course she should have uh, left him here at this point or left him at this junction. Um, but he was also extremely charming on the other side. So it's hard to um, uh, weigh one against the other. Um, 
certainly with Laura Richards, who's in our um, unscripted uh, podcast, and she's a, a person who's very um, knowledgeable of the word of, uh, of coercive control. Yeah, she's um, um criminal behaviorist, forensic psychologist. Wonderful. And, um, you know, in the unscripted, every time we get to a point where uh, Deborah says, of course, I, I should have seen the signs, but um, I continue to stay with John. You have Laura come in and say, here's why she made this decision. And you understand it. I mean, uh, I told her she's very much like a Greek chorus. Hang on. Let me explain this for the audience, why Deborah's making this decision. And, you know, ultimately, Deborah does get out of it. I think one of the great things that um, Laura says in our unscripted, um, she said, you know, most people who are being abused by somebody under coercive control, it takes them seven times to leave them. Yeah, that's and, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even in the, um, you know, I haven't seen the unscripted, obviously, yet, but all I've seen is the first episode of the scripted series. You, it even sets the stage for, you know, Deborah, played by Connie, having this string of bad dates. And, you know, she's a woman in her late 40s, I think, at the time, maybe early 50s. Uh, 50s. 50s. Um, who's had four marriages uh, and is very attractive, very successful in her own right. And there's just a lot of duds out there. And then she meets this guy that's, you know, I think one of the things I learned from Laura also is that these groomers, these coercive con controlling guys are so good at tapping into exactly what you're thinking, what you're wanting. And that came up in the podcast too. He would make her coffee every morning. I mean, all the things like us married women dream of, he knew exactly how to manipulate. And so when you're somebody who's been burned four different times and has been sort of unlucky in love, I can see that being super enticing and intoxicating, which is exactly what happened, right? Well, let's not forget, too, that he was an extremely good-looking guy who said he was an anesthesiologist <laughs> right. um, and an attractive package, right? So uh, after a string of bad dates, why wouldn't you go, all right, here's a doctor who's interested in me, you know, and he's really good-looking. Right. So working with the Newells, what was your impression um, in terms of their openness and willingness to share their story? Because in the unscripted version that you're doing for Oxygen, the two hour version, it's really based on on their interview, on Tara and Deborah's interviews and Tanya's and not Jacqueline, ultimately. Well, Jacqueline's in it. Jacqueline's in it. OK. Yeah. Jacqueline's I in it. I wasn't sure how that all. Oh, no, she, she's in it. Um, OK. They were great. I mean, obviously, they've. Um, uh, told their story, not only in the podcast, but they've, um, uh, I think they were on Dateline and uh, right. Good Morning America, things like that. Um, but, um, or Today Show, I think it was Today Show. They were uh, great. Um, and, and obviously for Tara, she's uh, um, been through a lot. Um, I, I think she's had therapy to sort of overcome uh, a horrific thing. But as she says in our show, um, I'm not a victim. I'm a, I'm a survivor. And I, I think everybody thinks she's, uh, you know, for having gone through what she, she did, a really brave person. And so she tells that story. Uh, for Deborah, she definitely outlines and explains uh, the reasons why she fell under the spell of John and why she stayed, uh, despite all the things that he did against her family. Um, and that's a brave thing to, to tell as well. Um, they're very open about it. They're, very, they're great. Uh, Jackie, uh, we very much wanted to participate because if you knew from the podcast, she was um, skeptical from the very beginning. And she was uh, um, looking for a way to combat this uh, clearly deceptive guy that Deborah couldn't see. Um, the, who puts a tracker in a car? I know, well, where I, do you buy a tracker? Right. She's you know? deceptively smart. Deceptively smart. Yeah. And, and so we wanted her to participate. Um, when people do see the unscripted, uh, which will come out in January in Oxygen, uh, she did not want to be um, seen. So we put her in silhouette. Um, she's very private. And um, yeah. And if when people um, uh, do see the uh, scripted. Um, she's not Jackie in there. They changed her name to Veronica. Yeah, Veronica. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, it's so far not a great depiction. If I'm Jacqueline, I'm not going to be super happy, but I'll see how it evolves over time. I sh I, well, Juno Temple is, it, it, I mean, she's great in that oh, role. She's yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of the, I, I know one of the things that uh, when we got involved, 
that came through, I can't remember if it was from you guys or Oxygen or both, was, you know, we don't want to just do a rehash of the podcast because that's not everyone. Anyone who's watching it has probably listened to the podcast. So what was your goal going into the documentary version in terms of how you wanted to tell the story? Well, first of all, it's visual, right? So the podcast, you just heard their voices here. You get to really see them. Um, and and study their body language when they tell their story and, and understand that. Uh, from Tanya to Jackie to Tara to, to Deborah. Um, but we also wanted to find um, some other stories. Uh, we found this woman named Meg Maggard, who is a ex-girlfriend. She's in it. Um, we certainly have Dennis Lucan, who was uh, part of the podcast. Um, but we have... Uh, um, like Tanya's daughters, John's daughters are uh, participate um, and talk about their feelings of having their dad not be around and their dad leave them and, and make choices that were um, hard for them. And uh, so they were great, uh, uh, Abigail and Emily. Um, we also found one of his old friends from high school and college who was a best friend uh uh, to John and who John basically stung uh, in a, a drug raid. They were they were selling drugs at the time, and John, um, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you the story. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to say, let's, let's tease it. So we we found a lot of the stories. There a lot of stories we didn't tell. Yeah, um, uh, we didn't necessarily tell the the uh, sisters' stories. John's sisters. Um, we certainly don't get into the Newell family background. We, yeah, we didn't I have mean, time. There, right. There's so much. I mean, just the murder of Deborah's sister. Mm-hmm. And how the family coped with that and the mother, uh, sure. Deborah's mother. I mean, that's a whole other podcast and, and, and documentary. And we don't even get into that. We, we, yeah. we can't. The nuance yeah. of what happened to not only Tanya and these other people, um, to uh, a detective in Newport who John put a hit out on. I mean, I mean, unbelievable stuff. We The, the woman that he, all, he went to jail for before he met... Uh, Deborah, um, a Brazilian woman who was incredibly wealthy, and he almost got her money, $37 million. Wow. $37 million. He said, hey, just you know, transfer it from Brazil into my account, and, and I'll give it to you. Right. And it that always works happened. out. Never <laughs> happened, but it was close. So we wow. found all these people and, and put them in, in this uh, unscripted. Amazing. I'm so looking forward to it. How involved were you in the scripted version? I know you're an EP on it. I'm an EP. I mean, it was produced by Universal Cable Productions. Um, it, the, the showrunner, uh, Alex Cunningham, is great, um, and she really took the story, and I think was very faithful in it uh, to the story. Chris Gofford was also part of the writers' room, which I think was great, and I think he has a, a sole credit on one of the episodes. I think the fifth episode. Oh, so, cool! Yeah, so um, uh, so it, it, as, as much as you could be when Universal Cable uh, Productions is producing it, you know, um, uh, but much more involved in the unscripted. Yeah. Awesome. So in terms of what was your biggest, now that it's sort of in the can and over and now premiering, what was your biggest takeaway in terms of the whole story and kind of what's going to stick with you? From the scripted or the... I don't know, the whole thing. Um, Just Dirty John. I I think there are a lot of Dirty Johns out there. Mm -hmm. And um, I think uh, the most seemingly... um, the 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 type of person who you would think would never get conned could get conned. That's what is the takeaway for me. Yeah, and, and I think that was so important. And the to, length of the con too, how long it can go on. Right, the long the long con, the, long con. the grooming. Yes. Right, yeah. and that was I know the Newells. That was their biggest concern, which is like we're going to come off, or especially Deborah. Like I'm going to come off as a ditzy idiot who fell for this guy. And I think, you know, what Laura did was really validate saying there's so many Dirty Johns out there and you are, it's, everyone wants to blame the victim, not the conner. Is that even a name? <laughs> I don't <laughs> know if that's artist. a name. Yeah, con artist. <laughs> the asshole. <laughs> so yes. how did, I, I read your bio, but I didn't get sort of like from, you know, where, where were the, the 20 years before the last 10 years? Like, where did you start? Where did, did you start uh, in news? Did you start in doc? I, I, uh, Where started, are you from? Uh, I'm from uh, just outside Milwaukee. Oh, okay. Uh, ten kids, family of ten kids. Oh, I thought you had ten kids. Oh, no. God. So you're one of ten? One of ten. A Jewish man of ten that's not... Catholic. Catholic. Herzog. That's very deceitful. It's... it's, it's and, you're, you're dece- yeah, you're deceiving uh, people, me. People do think I'm, I'm Herzog, Jewish, which is wonderful, but right? I, I, grew up, I grew up Catholic. Okay, I'm gonna we're gonna have to figure that one out. I've never heard of German. a Catholic Herzog. I guess, yeah. I've never met another Herzog who wasn't Jewish. Right. Right. This is shocking. Breaking news. It's wonderful. Okay. One and now the Catholic thing makes sense for the ten kids. Yes. Okay. Right. Got it. But they all have real jobs. 
<laughs> uh, and uh, I, I started uh, working on movies in Chicago. So I was a production assistant and uh, worked my way up and um, spent a good deal of time in that uh, world in Chicago before I met my wife. And she was already living out here in Los Angeles. So I, I So you met her, her. In, on the movie set? She I met her on a movie set in Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge Louisiana. What was the movie? Uh, Everybody's now? All American. Yeah. With Jessica Lang, yeah. Dennis Quaid, John Goodman. <gasps> right, he's trying to recapture his high school glory. Mm-hmm. Timothy Hutton. That was yeah. a great movie. Yeah, directed by Taylor Hackford. Yeah. Uh, who's a, an old dear friend and who my wife was working for. So, cool. So I moved out here. Tally. So she said, you have to move out. Well, Get I away mean, from these cold winters. Well, put it this way. Um I don't think she was going to move to Chicago. Right. <laughs> so, and I was happy to move out here. And did you think you were going to stay in film? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, got out here and, and worked a little bit of that. And then, you know, started dabbling in writing a little bit. And um, eventually f- um, started producing some industrials, uh, get some producing skills. Um, and then started working for uh, a company that um, did behind the scenes. So... Uh, for several years, I worked for that company, working on some big films, um, doing behind the scenes and making ofs back then. There were no DVDs at the time. Yeah, got it. And um, formed my own company, started my own company. That was 23 years ago. Oh, wow. And um, became one of the, you know, uh, a premier behind the scenes companies. And that's how I built the infrastructure. It's how we built all my database and and were you doing cameras. like the HBO making of? Tons. Okay. Tons, tons. Cool. We have been fortunate enough to be part of Jerry Bruckheimer's world for the last, uh, I think, 23 years. Um, I think we've worked on 35 or 40 films with, with oh Jerry. Oh, my God. Um, well, we're working on Top Gun right now. Top Gun 2. Is it speak. good? Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, Michael Bay's films, we do, we've do. we been doing those for 20 years. Um all the Pirates of the Caribbeans. Um, so behind the scenes is a really fun, uh, interesting way to explore um, a movie. And um, it also is the seeds to really what documentaries are, which is what um, we kind of discovered. I had a partner for a while. Um, he was like, you know, we're just basically making documentaries. I mean, uh, there are promotional documentaries for a movie, but you, you're spending a lot of time Filming something, getting B-roll, interviewing um, uh, people to tell that story, and it's the same as documentaries. So about 20 years ago, we started also making documentaries. Okay, so what did you start with? Um, did you see Band of Brothers? Yeah. So th- we made a film called uh, We Stand Alone Together, mm-hmm. which is the 11th episode of the 10-part miniseries. So while... Playtone, um, Tom Hanks and Gary Gessman's company, was making uh, Band of Brothers, uh, I think along with Steven Spielberg. They, um, we, we sort of pitched this idea, let's do the, the real story. Um, and uh, my partner at the time, a man named Mark Cowan, uh, directed it and interviewed all of the uh, real members of Easy Company. And uh, at some point, um, they decided to add those voices of those men, elderly men, to the beginning of every episode of Band of Brothers. So the first two or three minutes of every episode, you'll see our interviews. And then uh, the, sh- the series goes back in time narratively. When it aired in the fall of 2001, right after uh, 9-11. Was that HBO? HBO. Um, at the very end of it, they, they played um, the documentary in full. Wow. So it's great. That's how we started. Wow. Okay. And then kind of sum up the next, I don't know, 10 years after that. Was it all long form doc? Was like, when did sort of like, when did the intersection of quote unquote reality and documentary happen for you guys? Well, first of all, we don't, we, I don't, know. Make, we don't do reality. I'm I know. Scripted. I don't know why. Nonfiction. I, could, I know. I still am regretting that my calling my podcast reality reality <laughs> because I will not say people say, oh, you work in reality. I said, no, I work in unscripted. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and I don't, you know, reality is a wonderful thing. I mean, people love it. Just like you were talking about. People love to <laughs> right. to wa- watch it. Um, it's not necessarily what, what we produce. Yeah. Um, and we tend to make uh, documentaries, documentary series. Um, uh, usually from an archival base, although we've, we do have done a lot of follow doc as well, mm-hmm. um, that have some sort of anthropological 
look at history. Yeah. Um, Did you guys do um, the Esquire series? The um, the wait, agent. No. Oh, was that you? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Why did I think you also did the golfer, the uh, Tykes? Uh, we Friday Night we did Tykes. a version of that. Okay. Um, a State of Play. Um, okay, got for it. For HBO with Peter Berg. Got um, it. That had some of the elements of. of cool. uh, yeah, we didn't uh, necessarily do the one you're talking about. Okay, and you've done a lot of sports stuff as well. We right? did on Freddie Roach, also for HBO mm -hmm. with Peter Berg, um, following Freddie Roach, a really great um, boxing coach who had Parkinson's. That was unique in that. Um, uh, there are no interviews. I mean, and Freddie Roach kind of lived a life that was out of a Scorsese film. And um, uh, really interesting. We, yeah, um, I have Fight King with Jim Lampley we were part of for a while. Um, so, yeah, we've done some sports things, um, which are great. And what's the stuff that really turns you on? Is it the history? Uh, a good story turns yeah. me on. And okay. um, I think uh, it doesn't matter when that story is. That's the the... The good fight that we fight all the time, which is uh, walking into a room and saying, I've got a great story. It <laughs> happened in 1948. Are you okay with that? And some networks aren't. You know, I've had networks say to us, uh, you can't go past 1980. I can't figure yeah, out I've why. heard that too. I know, that so ridiculous. It makes no sense to me. A good story is a good story. I agree. No matter, it's ridiculous. You know, and history is not a pejorative term. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I, we, we, we fight that good fight. So. And so... It must be for your company. I mean, we'll get into some of the specifics, but in the last, I don't know, five to six years, I'm, I'm just ballparking. There has been this appetite, really. I mean, I don't know if it's like since making a murderer before that, but all of a sudden it felt like, oh, this is exciting. Documentary, quote unquote, is all of a sudden hot in the marketplace. People have this appetite to peel the onion, you know, docu-series to see stuff unfold over time. You must have been psyched <laughs> because that's what you've been doing your whole career. A hundred percent. Right. Um, I remember the time um, it was at Real Screen and um, walking into a room and uh, I'm not going to say the network, but but they said, uh, these are the type of documentaries that we want to do in documentary series. And two of them are mine. And I went, oh, okay. Well, this is good that I'm here. Yeah, you know? exactly. um, it, It's uh, a great time to be in nonfiction, I think. Uh, it's a great time to be telling these stories, to do premium nonfiction. It's great. Um, there are a lot of outlets that want to play it. There, there are a lot of outlets that are hungry for it. A good story is a good story. And if you have that story, it's great. Um, so, yeah, I, we're very excited. I mean, the last five or six years has been great. And how do you define, this is always something that comes up, and I, I would love to hear your take on it. How do you define premium nonfiction, right? Because everybody has a different take on what premium means. Um, you know, <laughs> maybe the, the size spot. of the budget? I, I don't know. Um, there you go. I, I, um, I like the answer. My personal answer uh, looks really good. <laughs> I think it's uh, a good, it looks good, obviously, right. shot well. A good story told well. Yeah, I like that. I mean, you, there can be a good story that you have your hands on, but maybe you don't tell it well. I mean, uh, bad recreate something, uh, you know. Um, but I think it's a, it's a little bit of a classy, a class system with networks too, which I think is interesting and also changing. Like, I'm going to just guess that Dirty John, the unscripted documentary, is a premium documentary, but it's airing on Oxygen. Can you make a premium documentary for Oxygen? Like, that to me is changing too. I think too. that's what Oxygen wants exactly. and is striving for. And, um, and they're doing, by the way. I mean, I've seen a few series on there that look like they could be on Netflix or HBO. Again, it's a, it's a, a, a good story, the Dirty John story, and um, uh, our job is to tell that well, yeah. just like Chris Goffer did in the, in the podcast. So the most exciting thing to me about what you guys are doing, other than I love just documentaries in general, it's my thing, is that you have amazing partners, and you just mentioned a whole bunch of them. And you've also partnered with Tom Hanks's company and um, Lazy... Hazy, lazy, hazy mills. Hazy mills. <laughs> Why don't I want to say lazy? They're certainly not lazy. I've only heard the best things about Sean Hayes. Um, and you guys did the history of comedy together. We did the history of comedy, Which yes. was great. I absolutely loved it. It's and about then, the history of comedy. And can you still get it? Is it? Where is it? If people still want to watch it. Um, they're doing marathons still on CNN. Okay. Um, and you can watch it, I believe, on Hulu. Oh, good. Yeah. Just the tool yesterday. Yeah, we've been very fortunate to have great partners uh, on projects over the years. We uh, partnered with uh, uh, Scott Free and Ridley Scott's company, Ridley and Tony Scott, uh, on several projects way back when. One of whom, one of which, uh, won an Emmy, Gettysburg, for History Channel. Nice. Um, uh, for a while, we partnered with Pete Berg. Uh, we've been uh, doing projects creatively with Playtone uh, 
for about 25 years. And that's, you've done the Decades series for Decades CNN. Series. So you've done 70s, 80s, and 90s? 60s. 60s. We're going way 70s, back. 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Oh my gosh. We did a uh, an offshoot uh, as well called 1968. It's a four-part series doing a deep dive. Wow. When we did the 60s, we did an hour, one episode just on 1968. It was that kind of year. And um, CNN came back to us and said, let's do a deep dive for the 50th anniversary, which is this year as we, as oh, it, yeah. as we speak. That aired uh, in last uh, May. Amazing. So give us a little peek behind the curtain. You come up, like, what's the origin of that? You come up with the idea, you go to Playtone, like, how does it all happen? Um, I met um, at Real Screen. I keep talking about Real Screen. <laughs> it's not that uh, great. Come on, Mark. Uh, well, one of the <laughs> things I, well, I like here's one of the things I like about Real Screen. And for those um, other people who, who go, you'll understand. I mean, yeah, it can be very frustrating. Um, it's stressful. It's sure. But every once in a while, you meet somebody really interesting. Yes. Um, I, to be very frank, I really like meeting other producers. Um, you don't get to meet other yes. people. I mean, no, it's true. You're not really competing with you know an yeah. idea is an idea. You have your own idea. Yes. They have their ideas. But uh, you know, I met I met the guys from uh, ZPC. I think they do great work. Part two pictures. Um, uh, just I meet other producers. Yeah. Um, and it's great. And so uh, one. Real screen. I met a guy named Vinny Malhotra, oh. who used to work for CNN. Yeah, uh, now works for Showtime. Yeah, and um, he said, "Boy, you 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 work with a lot of great people, and I know that you work with uh, Playtone. And uh, wouldn't it be great someday if we could work with them?" And I sat on that for a while, and and um, uh, asked Gary Getzman, "Would you ever want to do something with CNN?" He goes, "Well, let's explore it. I mean, uh, they do a lot for HBO. They have a, a deal with HBO, and HBO would have to um, weigh in on it, and they did." Um, and said, that's okay, you know. Um, so one of the ideas that came out of it was, uh, while we were exploring ideas, what would be great for Playtone, what would be great for uh, Herzog and for CNN. They were just, um, Vinny mentioned, they were looking for programming for the 50th anniversary of the assassination of uh, JFK. And I said, oh, you know, Tom Hanks had this idea years ago about doing the ultimate Warren Commission documentary. Um, it was a tie-in to a... Um, a possible HBO series that didn't happen. And so I started exploring the idea of how the Warren Commission got it right. And if most people understand and, and, and knew the Warren Commission, they, uh, in 10 months, came up with a, you know, John, uh, that Lee Harvey Oswald did it. And uh, it was cut and dried and black and white, all right there. Um, there was another guy named Vincent Bugliosi, if you know who he is, a famous uh, prosecutor here in uh, in uh, L.A., and he wrote a really great book called uh, Reclaiming History, all about how you, uh, how he could go through every single conspiracy theory with JFK and knock it down. So uh, Vinny reacted to that and said, well, I want to hear more of that. And so while we explored the idea of uh, doing something about the assassination of uh, uh, John F. Kennedy, um, CNN came back and said, well, what if we expand that even more and do the 60s? Which Playtone loved doing that idea. Um, uh, uh, obviously, uh, Tom had directed that thing you do, so it was all about in the '60s, and um, everybody knows he loves the Beatles, and it was perfect. So. And then, did you go into it thinking this is going to be an anthology where we're going to end up doing '70s, '80s, or was it just really? Oh, you always hope, right. right? So it was in your head. It wasn't yeah, like, oh, season. that's an exciting yeah. development. The main thing that we did going into it was uh, trying to figure out how to tell that story well. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a good story. We all know um, the '60s is a volatile decade, uh, but how do you tell that story? And one of the uh, one of the things that we went with uh, the, the conceit was that we wanted to have the people of the time, the newscasters, the broadcasters, the the anchors, tell the story. We wanted to use that footage, and. Um, I was very much influenced by a documentary I'd seen that was very raw, and we could never be as raw as that. What was that? Um, um, you just put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> it was about it was about the assassination. I think okay. three shots. Okay. Um, great company made it out of, out of New York, and it was very intriguing. I realized how much footage there was from the, the assassination that weekend in Dallas, and so we told it with Dan Rather, who was on the ground in Dallas at the time, mm -hmm. giving news reports, and Dan Rather today talking about it. There's no, there are no, uh, there's no narration whatsoever. And um, uh, what we found was that by telling it that way, 
It was very visceral. You feel like you're watching TV at the time. And that was very much uh, an idea that we had and wanted to go with. And so the entire series ended up being that. I love that. Do you have a, um, as a documentarian, do you have a... Do you have a repulsion? I don't know what the word is against VO. Like, no. do you, so you just sort of like it's a feel thing. Whenever, right? In this particular case, um, we all looked at the the idea of if you put voiceover, so you're going to take out the Walter Cronkite moment. Right. I mean, Walter right. Cronkite, it just takes you out of it. Walter Cronkite's going to tell you that moment. Yeah. Why do you? Why I don't do you, like voiceover. That's why I ask. I mean, I, I, think I guess uh, sometimes uh, it works, but generally it just take it just annoys me. We have Schreiber. And, oh, right. You know, I mean, he's great. <laughs> he's making and, a whole career yeah. on the side with that. Uh, he's great, and and um, uh, Ken Burns uses voiceover, right. and, and I think it's uh, in the in the right documentary. It's appropriate in this particular case in this series. We have uh, no narration, and it's. Let me tell you, it's harder. You, right. you got to make a left right. turn. <laughs> yeah, those bridges, uh, those right. video bridges help you, a lot. You got to just. You got to. That's where editing, really good editing, comes in. You have to make that left turn and do, start a whole new subject without having a narrator say, "Meanwhile, right over here." That's where slates come in. Right. <laughs> right. So okay, so that's that's interesting. And then, in terms of the kinds of things that you gravitate, I know you said a good story. Um, Generally, are they self? Uh, what's the word? Are are they ideas that are self generated within Herzog within you? Are they things that people bring you? Like, how typically does it work with your stable of projects? Um, uh, everything, right? So people come in, bring us uh, great ideas. We'll listen to a, a story. We'll look at each other and go, "Well, we we gotta we gotta fight this fight. Um, this is great." It's a historical subject, maybe. Um, let's go pitch it and see where it takes us. Um, we also generate a lot in, um, inside with our development team, for sure. Um, I'm a uh, history freak, and um, I'm always you know, coming up with some story that I've just read about. I'm, I'm really knee-deep in the 19th century right now. Um, I, I want to tell um, uh, more stories about Lincoln. I don't think people quite understand how... Um, interesting his life was and how he easily could not have been president, you know? Um, and so uh, there's a running joke in our, um, in, in the company at our holiday party, we raffle off uh, an hour of history <laughs> by me. Uh, and the subject is chosen by me and, and no one, no, one no one's it. ever taking me up on it. Cause basically if you ask me a question, uh, I'll start going into some story. Well, did you know? Right. And an hour later, people are rolling, rolling their eyes. Uh, yeah. I'm not, you know. Well, I have an inside baseball question actually about the way that you pitch because you are so well known for doing these projects. Do you need to go in with a sizzle reel or can you just go in with the idea? In other words, they know how you're going to execute it. They know that you've got your shit together. So can you just go in with the idea and kind of they'll trust you to make it really well? We have, but we do we do sizzles. Mm -hmm. I mean, because we s still do a lot of uh, behind the scenes promo, um, we know promo. And I think a sizzle is a really good promo. I think the, the best thing a sizzle does, and most producers will know this, is it sets the tone. What's yeah. the tone right. of this? Right. I mean, you can walk in and, and, and say... Uh, you know, we want to do this, uh, but by the way, it's going to have a comedic bent. And they'll go, well, that's a dark subject. I'm, I'm you know, making up a subject, but I can do it comedically. Well, here, look. I mean, we've had some great sizzles for projects that have never sold. And everybody knows that. Everybody, know. Everybody's felt the same way. And you go, this is the greatest sizzle. How do you not Don't we need see the it? network for, it's like the blacklist, you know, yeah. for scare. We need the network that's just going to air all of the shows from the sizzles that didn't sell that right. are the best shows. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'll, I'll run that network. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> the castaways, yeah. the castoffs. Yeah. So I saw you also have something that looked really cool um, The for history with the Pepsi versus Coke yeah. rivalry. Was that based on the Wondry podcast? No. Okay, because mm -mm. I know they did like a business wars Pepsi versus Coke also. Yeah. So what's that going to be? Um, this is basically Cola Wars. Um, it's the Coke versus Pepsi. And what's great about it is we have uh, cooperation from both people in, on the Pepsi side, uh, from Pepsi and Coca-Cola, um, because both thought they won. I love it. So we're, you know, we're, we're not taking sides here. And how often are you bringing your docs to festivals and, you know, sort of releasing them theatrically? Like, what's what's that path like uh, for I made a documentary for CNN, CNN Films years ago called Lady Valor, uh, the story of uh, Kristen Beck, uh, the one and only Navy SEAL who transitioned from a man to a woman. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, that played South By, 
Uh, it was nice. great taking to a festival. Uh, we had a couple uh, series. I think the history of comedy and um, one other uh, play at um, uh, Sundance when Sundance started doing um, series doc series. I thought that was great. That was a lot yeah. of fun. Oh, I know. Hot Girls Wanted. Um, oh. uh, for Netflix, Hot Girls Wanted turned on this series, which is based upon the documentary Hot Girls Wanted, uh, um, and that had played on Netflix. Netflix decided to do an anthology series. We got brought in uh, to help produce it. Oh, cool! And that played also at Sundance. So it's, it's on my fun. list. I still haven't seen it, but I, I it's, that, it's on my queue. That's a follow doc. Yeah. Um, and so if people think we just do archival, just know <laughs> that we we also do follow doc. Um, but very intriguing. Set inside the world of technology, sexuality, pornography. Yeah. Uh, really great, intriguing. Six different uh, series, uh, stories, I should say. Wow. So you direct, and you get your hands dirty in a lot of this stuff. How do you do that and still run your company? Because <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, I wish I could do more. Uh, I right. wish I, uh, running a company is hard, um, <laughs> as, as people uh, know. I, I like to get dirty. Um, um but we have, uh, I would say, one of my most important roles um, is to oversee a group of really great producers uh, and editors. Um, certainly on the Decade series, uh, Gary Getzman and, and I um, oversee these this great team, uh, a lot of whom have been with us from the beginning, um, and uh, who are doing research and digging through footage and finding the story and reading a lot. We read a lot. And being, being sort of the executive producer of that and overseeing that is, is, is as creative and rewarding as if I was just getting in the bay myself. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I miss it. Sometimes I you know, want to do more. What's the hardest part about running a company? Um, well, you're a psychologist, right? <laughs> right I mean, yeah. you know, people come in and right, sit down. Right, ninety percent of your time is spent psych- with human relations. <laughs> and luckily, my mother is a psychologist. Well, there so. you go. So you have the people skills. Yes. Right. So the managing of it all. The managing of it all. People skills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, motivating. You know, uh, you, you got to motivate people um, to to do their best work on your behalf. By the way. So. Yeah. So I, I haven't done this in a while, but since we have a little time, I want to ask some stock questions that I used to be the staple of all of my podcasts, but they've okay. been going long. So we're, we're good on time. So the first question is, what would you say is your biggest professional accomplishment? Um, uh, I, I, you know, I'd say the Decade Series right now. I, I think um, they resonate. I, I certainly get that a lot from people. Um, I think they resonate with people um, who lived it. And uh, I think our series helps them recall, like, oh, yeah, it happened. Oh, yeah, that happened. Certainly it resonates with young people who go, oh, I wish I was part of that. I wish I remembered that decade. I, I, I was born too late. So right now, yeah. Uh, but there's more to come. Yeah. And speaking of more to come, what I, I am curious, like, what are your goals for the next five years? That's not one of the stock questions, but it's it dovetails off this one. Um, I uh, want to do more scripted. We've done... Uh, a handful of scripted things. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, uh, Dirty John's happening right now. And again, UCP uh, really is producing that. Um, uh, I produced um, a a Nat Geo scripted thing called uh, Killing Lincoln. Oh, that was um, you. That was me. Cool. Um, and uh, we, also we did that with uh, Ridley Scott's company. Um, was that Rob Lowe? Or I don't know. No, there was no, a no. Bunch that was Killing Kennedy, which okay. I was not part of. But okay. Killing Lincoln sort of started it off. So who was Lincoln? Um, uh, <laughs> Billy Campbell. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And um, who arguably was probably um, uh, a little bit heavier than Lincoln uh, would have been. But he looked a lot like Lincoln. It was great. And, and you have to be six foot four. Right. I mean, um, they we, can't all be Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. Um, I did that with uh, Ridley Scott's company and Mary Licio, if you know Mary Yeah. Licio. She's come up like every, I need to get her on the podcast because her name has come up every day for the last week for some reason in different circumstances. She's great. So yeah, we, we did that. Um, and uh, we did another um, uh, series for uh, Machinima uh, for um, Microsoft, um, uh, and it was called Ford Unto Dawn, Halo, Ford Unto Dawn, based on the Halo game. And wow. that was five 17-minute um, episodes on Machinima that then was reconstituted as a 90-minute film for when you bought Halo 4, you could you could buy the film. Um 
uh, Gettysburg was kind of semi-scripted. So we, yeah. I, I want to do more scripted. Everybody wants to do that as well. Um, um, I certainly came from a world where the first things I, I worked on were all movies. So I think I understand the world of, of, of scripted and it'd be great to produce more. Cool. Do you have any regrets? Uh, no. That's great. That, you didn't even hesitate on that one. No, I mean, I mean, when you get to do, when you uh, get to do what you love to do, how do you, how do you have regrets? Yeah, I still have them, but yeah, <laughs> I hear you. I mean, and they're usually like the smaller things, not the bigger things. You know what I mean? I I, I have one uh, uh, um, real estate regret. I wish I bought this one building in two thousand eight. Yeah. Um, and housed my company there um, instead of. Um, I love I'm, it here, though. This is really nice. That's great. I'm renting. I wish yeah. I, I owned the building. Got it. Got it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. No, always better to own them by. Right. So, in terms of TV that you watch, I'm guessing I'm just picturing you like in your bed reading like history book after history book. But let's say that you're also watching something. What 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 are the things that you? What are your housewives? What are the things that you love to watch when you're you know other than your own stuff? Um, I I um, I'm kind of a news junkie. Um, my wife and I are news junkies. Yeah, and, um, how's that going? Is uh, <laughs> your head exploding every night like mine? Um, no, I mean, I'm, I have people say they have to turn it off Yeah. Uh, right now in this age. Um, but to me, you have to be vigilant. Right. Um, you, you can't get, um, you can't normalize it. So um, uh, I, I watch a lot of news. What's your um, channel? Don't say Fox or we're going to have to shut this off. <laughs> no, but I, I certainly, I, I'd like to know what's happening on yes, Fox. Yes, um, I think it's important. Uh, certainly CNN, uh, yeah. MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and you know, I also read conservative things. Mm-hmm. I happen not to be conservative, but um, I, all my friends are. And um, Really? I, oh, yeah, I have a lot of from, friends. From here or from home? Uh, both. I, my family was conservative. My yeah. you know, siblings uh, are, still are. And they Some still all are like happy with the way things are going? Well, I, you'd have to ask them. But, um, <laughs> I'll get them on the podcast. Yeah, but uh, no, I have a lot of conservative friends. And I think the idea is to have a dialogue and understand why they think the, the, the way they think. And I hopefully they understand uh, how I think. Yeah. Um, I certainly get baited a lot into um, <laughs> right. arguments. Um, but I like to watch, um, you know, a, a great film. Uh, my wife certainly, uh, uh, she and I have uh, stalwarts when you're flipping through HBO channels and mm-hmm. you come across The Equalizer, which right. is a really great Gotta film. Gotta watch it. I, no matter where it is in the film. <laughs> um, certainly Docs. I love to watch uh, really What's good your favorite docs. doc you've seen, one or two that you've seen in I can tell you year. one that I just saw yeah. um, called The Sentence. On uh, it's HBO. on my, it's on my, um, what do you call it? D, uh, DVR. Yeah. Rudy Valdez made yeah, it and it I'm is excited to see wonderful. It. And, um, I happen to have a project that I'm working on with Rudy. Very cool. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, it was just released on HBO I yeah. think, a month ago Yeah, I typed and it. watched it and I, I was bawling oh my, God. my eyes out. It was so personal. It's about his sister who right. was sentenced with mandatory sentence, sentencing laws for 15 years uh, for something that her boyfriend had done. Wow. Uh, and um, uh, she had three kids and a husband. And All right. I had, Stop there. I'm just telling yeah, you. Yeah. No, no, know. no. I, I'm going to watch it this weekend. Yeah, I can't wait. It's great. So. Um, did you see, I've heard amazing things about Three Identical Strangers, too. Uh, well, it's a, a CNN right? um, film. Um, right. I, unfortunately, I didn't have not seen it yet. <laughs> okay, well, we'll edit yeah. that. My, my wife uh, did <laughs> saw it theatrically and, uh, yeah. and uh, wants me to see it. Um, I love The Force Estate. Um, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. It's so well done. Uh, also, you you know, rarely sort of get that peek yeah. behind the scenes. I of, love a peek behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the show you need to make next because I always say that the, my favorite unscripted, notice how I stopped myself there. My favorite unscripted show probably ever is the one that like no one's ever heard of or watched, which was Oprah's 25th year on OWN. It was the first show on OWN and it was brilliant. I think True made it and it follows Oprah and her staff behind the scenes of making the show. And someone who watched Oprah almost every single day, it was like candy. I loved it. Oprah with no makeup and the way she would like order people around, like and her people would be so scared to come into her office. (laughs) I love seeing how the sausage is made. That's like my favorite thing. Sure. So behind the scenes. Yeah. So the fourth estate is right. And also I've been reading the New York Times since I was in college. So to me, like to see those are my favorite. Yeah. So I, I don't watch any 
housewives. Um, <laughs> You're missing out, Mark. Uh, my daughter is. Uh, I was going to ask if you have kids. I have two kids. So uh, uh, my son Henry's 24. My daughter Wallace is 21. Cute name. And um, headed off to um, uh, to Copenhagen today. Actually, really to for go. what? She's studying abroad for a semester, and, and we're going to go see her. Love it for Thanksgiving. Um, but oh, that's exciting. But um, she's an incredibly intelligent, well-read. Um, Journalism major, poli sci major, uh, who watches The Bachelor. And, you know, I, <laughs> she's I, not alone. I can't do The Bachelor, I, but I know she's not alone. Listen, there's a reason there's been 317 seasons exactly. of it. Exactly. Very popular. And what about your son? What's his story? Um, uh, my son works downtown, not in the business. Uh, and um, he, I'm trying to think that uh, if he watches any reality, um, I don't think he really does, you know. <laughs> I'm just sorry. Did you want him to go into the family biz? No, I want him to do what he wants to do, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I come from a, a large family, as I said, where my father was in the biz. He was a news anchor oh, in really? Milwaukee. Sure. His father before him was a newspaper columnist, sort of like oh, a, interesting. the Mike Royko of Milwaukee. His name ah. was Buck Herzog. My father, Bob Herzog, went into that business. Oh, so and then of the 10 kids... Uh, maybe two of us even thought about going into the business. The rest all became uh, doctors, uh, <laughs> lawyers, um, psychologists, uh, uh, engineers. Bunch I mean, of slackers, the Herzogs. I, I'm, I, I, you know, <laughs> You're the underperforming Herzog? I, 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 I think I'm the only one without a graduate degree. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. But good, my, good my graduate degree was was uh, going into the film business and working on movies. And, you know, well, exactly. Like I mean, that's why I did go to graduate school, but... Not a regret, but it definitely did not need to. And I always like kids, you know, come to me for advice. I said, do not waste your money in graduate school. Your graduate degree will be your first job. Mm. Yeah. It's just, you don't need it. And people, I think in our business look down on it anyway, like you're overeducated. <laughs> Let me flip this around. How long have you been yeah. in this? Uh-oh. Is this my podcast? Um, I, I, um, well, I'm, I hope I'm younger than I look. Mm. I, I mean, I hope I look younger than I am. Uh, I've a long time, uh, 25 years. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I started yeah. news actually. Oh, did you? On air and behind the scenes. Yeah. So I, I come from the journalistic tradition. I was editor, uh, news editor of my high school paper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing, too, about uh, the docs that we're talking about. You know, I think the ones I like, uh, certainly the ones that we aspire to to make, follow a journalistic um Standpoint. I yeah. Mean, when people see the Dirty John, to bring it back. Yes. Background, let's end it on when that. When they see that, it is. If you know the story, a uh, salacious story that was uh, all true, that is all true. And um, we, in telling that story for Oxygen, certainly wanted to follow that journalistic um, um, ideal, which the paper did, and uh, yeah. LA Times did, and so we wanted to do that. And I, I think that's what Oxygen, Oxygen was looking for and what they're going to get. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to see it. So it's going to air... Uh, after the finale of, of the scripted? So the eight parts of the scripted will start uh, November 25th. Yeah, we're going to drop this just before. On Bravo. Yeah. And um, I'm, it's all part of the Universal, NBC Universal family. So yeah. obviously, um, hopefully there'll be a lot of good cross promotion. Oh, yeah. To drive people over oh, to well, Oxygen. Oh, well, I can tell you as a Housewives fan, there's a Dirty John promo every five minutes. So as soon as the <laughs> Oxygen ones are at eight, they're going to be doing that too. Yeah. And I think um, it's going to air either the same night as the last episode of the scripted right. um, or the next day, something okay. like that. Good. Well, we're, I'm so excited. I can speak for the whole Dirty John fan community. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Saying we're super excited. Cool. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me.